Pastor Xavier Reese and the high cost of rebellion. The tenth plague did not cause the heart of Pharaoh to repent. He had crossed that line. Nothing could be done for Pharaoh. It wasn't God's fault. It was all in Pharaoh's hands. And in yours, if you would be like Pharaoh, rejecting over and over and over again. God will judge you and myself according to the measure of light we have possessed and received, ladies and gentlemen. Welcome to Simple Truths, the daily half-hour study of God's Word with Xavier Reese, Senior Pastor of Calvary Chapel of Pasadena, California. From everyone who has been given much, much will be demanded. And from the one who has been entrusted with much, much more will be asked. This is the simple truth Jesus gave in Luke 12.38, and one not heeded by Pharaoh, as a matter of fact, bringing on no less than ten plagues upon the land of Egypt for his rebellion against God's commands. Pastor Xavier picks up a study in Exodus chapter 10, titled, The High Price of Rebellion. The command of Moses to bring forth the plague is given in 21 through 23. The usual manner, again, is given 21. The instrument is Moses. Then the Lord, Yahweh, said to Moses, stretch out your hand towards heaven. That's where the judgment is coming from. The ninth plague comes without warning. Why? It's due to the deliberate trespass of Pharaoh. Having been warned, at other times. So now it comes again without warning. Symbolic gesture again. The judgment is from heaven. Notice the intent was to remove all light. That there may be darkness over the land of Egypt. Darkness which may even be felt. That's pretty heavy. That type of darkness. The sun was the top god of the Egyptians. Ra. The sun. The darkness was to be very intense, indicative here of being described as felt. Judgment on the gods of Egypt. Darkness here is very much a picture of Pharaoh and the Egyptians, spiritual blindness, the darkness of their heart. The execution of the plague was described there in verse 22. Moses obeyed Yahweh, so Moses stretched out his hand towards the heaven, and Yahweh brought it forth. There was thick darkness in all the land of Egypt. Three days. Three days of this type of darkness is scary. When they put a man in solitary confinement or in the hole, they give him a very small room, nothing in it, no windows, utter darkness. You become disoriented, depressed, and darkness does weird things to you. In fact, up in Washington, because it rains so much, many people commit suicide. In the latter years, they've created these light bulbs that give up these sun rays that has helped uh, the situation. We need the sun, especially (laughs) S-O-N. Look at 23, the extent of the darkness. No one was visible. They did not see one another. Can you imagine that? No one moved, nor did anyone rise from the place for three days. Not one of the Hebrews were affected. Notice that, by the darkness. But, there's a contrast, all the children of Israel had light in their dwelling. Here are the Egyptians. They can't see each other, but they look out and there's this light out of there. What the heck is going on? The summons of Moses by Pharaoh comes next in 24 through 29. In 24, the next compromise of Pharaoh was declared. Always remember that. Satan's always there to make you compromise, offer you compromises. He gave his permission. Then Pharaoh called to Moses and said, Go! 
serve the Lord Yahweh. And he gave a different compromise. He always follows up with the compromise. Only let your flocks and your herds be kept back. He knew this would guarantee their return. Now we'll get into a couple of practical applications. You may be in the church and a Christian, but if you do business in the world, how do you do? Do you do it like in Egypt? Do you separate your life in Christ from your business in the world, your herds, your flocks? He gave permission for their children. Let your little ones also go with you. I'll swap you. Leave the animals, take the kids. Change my mind. The uncompromising stand of Moses was proclaiming 25 and 26. Look at 25. Moses told Pharaoh they needed provisions for sacrifice. But Moses said, you must also give us sacrifice and burnt offerings that we may sacrifice to the Lord Yahweh our God. And then Moses told Pharaoh they would take every person and possession. Nothing would remain in Egypt. Our livestock also shall go with us. Not a hoof shall be left behind. I like that. It's the little foxes that spoil the vine, the scriptures tell us. All was for the Lord's service. He says there, for we must take some of them to serve the Lord our God. And even we do not know with what we must serve the Lord Yahweh until we arrive there. Always prepared. And so the Lord honored the rebellion of Pharaoh. He just keeps going. 27, Yahweh did not violate the will of Pharaoh. Listen, but the Lord Yahweh hardened Pharaoh's heart. He respected his will. This is the fourth time God hardens Shazag, makes strong, rigid, firm the heart of Pharaoh. It's a dangerous thing. Pharaoh became stronger in his disobedience and rebellion, and he would not let them go. This is the result of his hardened heart. And so in 28, Pharaoh manifested the increasing hardness of his heart. He insulted Moses by commanding Moses to go out of his presence. Listen to the the tone, if you uh, give me that liberty. Then Pharaoh said to him, get away from me. Just a face of anger. He warned Moses about coming before him again. And take heed to yourself and see my face no more. This is what happens with a hard heart. From day to day, from week to week, month to month, year to year, deed after deed. Grieving warning after warning. And so he threatened the life of Moses, for in the day that you see my face, you shall die. As if he was in control. What would lead him to believe? This is craziness. But that's what happens when you are rebellious. You're full of pride and your heart is dark. You understand? Moses confirmed the will of Pharaoh in 29. Moses said, you have spoken well. I will never see your face again. If you only knew how true that was. What shall I do? The side of the tomb to be lost. The answer is nothing. Nothing. And that's exactly what so many people do with Jesus and the gospel. Nothing. We live in the world, but not of the world. The boat belongs in the water, ladies and gentlemen. It's when the water gets in the boat that the boat gets in trouble. Jesus said in Luke eleven thirty four to 35, the lamp of the body is the eye. Therefore, when your eye is good, your whole body also is full of light. But when your eye is bad, your body is also full of darkness. Therefore, take heed that the light which is in you is not darkness. 
John 3.19, and this is the command, the condemnation, that the light has come into the world and men love darkness rather than light because their deeds are evil. Our bent, our propensity is towards darkness, ladies and gentlemen, even as Christians. I must walk in the spirit or I will walk in the flesh. My sin nature is ever present, so I must yield to the new nature. Then Jesus spoke to them again and said, I am the light of the world. He who follows me shall not walk in darkness, but have the light of life. John 8, 12. That's our only hope. Abiding in him. The night is far spent, Paul says. The day is at hand. Therefore, let us cast off the works of darkness and let us put on the armor of light. Romans 13, 1. It's a choice. Do not be unequally yoked together with unbelievers. For what fellowship has righteousness with lawlessness? What communion has light with darkness? 2 Corinthians six fourteen. That goes for boyfriend, girlfriend, fiance, fiance, marriage, business. You compromise in those areas, you're a dead duck. You bring grief and destruction to your life. And yet people do it all the time. For you were once darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. Walk as children of light, Ephesians 5 eight. That's not a suggestion, that's a command. Have no fellowship with the unfruitful works of darkness, but rather expose them, Ephesians 5.11. Not that we think we're better, but we have the answer. But we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against rulers of darkness of this age, against spiritual hosts of wickedness in heavenly places, Ephesians 6, 12, the armor, the warfare. For Christ has delivered us from the power of darkness and conveyed us into the kingdom of the Son of His love in Colossians 1, 13. We're under different management, ladies and gentlemen. But I get to choose one day at a time, right? John says, this is the message which we have heard from him, meaning Christ, and declare to you that God is light and him is no darkness at all. If we say we have fellowship with him and walk in darkness, we lie and do not practice the truth. Straight up. 1 John 1, 5, and 6. There's no need of explanation. Again, a new commandment I write to you. Which thing is true in him and in you? Because the darkness is passing away. And the true light is already shining. This evil world is passing. It's going to come to an end. And the light continues to shine, the light of the gospel. And God will set up his kingdom. And so the ninth plague of darkness did not cause the heart of Pharaoh to repent. But it was a choice between light and darkness, right? It's always a choice, ladies and gentlemen. And therefore, the tenth plague, the death of the firstborn comes. First 10 verses of chapter 11. Verse 1 through 3, we have the proclamation of Yahweh to Moses prior to the last plague. The entire section of these three verses is parenthetical about what God had told Moses previously. We must not think that Moses left the presence of Pharaoh in verse 29 of chapter 10 there. He doesn't leave until chapter 11, verse 8, at the end. He says, at the end of verse 8, it says, then he went out from Pharaoh in great anger. So verse 1 through 3 is parenthetical. Moses still has one more message for Pharaoh after the ninth plague of darkness that has just come upon him. It's the tenth plague of the death of the firstborn. And so Yahweh has spoken this to Moses before he had been summoned by Pharaoh regarding the ninth plague. The majority of scholars believe the better translation in verse 1 is, the Lord Yahweh had said 
to Moses, since there's no pluperfect in the Hebrew. That's the better translation, because it's parenthetical. The message was the last one. I will bring yet one more plague on Pharaoh and on Egypt. God had told Moses he would slay the firstborn from the beginning, Exodus 4.23. The outcome would be their exodus, being thrust out by Pharaoh himself. Afterwards, he will let you go from here. When he lets you go, he will surely drive you out of here altogether. And look at verse 2. Yahweh had considered the poverty of his people. Again, all of these first three verses are parenthetical. He had said this to him in the past. God had also told Moses about this at his commission in chapter 3, 21 and 22, that God was going to bring them out with wealth. Yahweh would recompense them for back wages. That's what this is. Speak now in the hearing of the people and let everyone ask from his neighbor and every woman from her neighbor. They had not been paid through this bondage. All their work. They had to ask. And the word ask implies not asking, let me have it and I'll give it back. No, give it to me and it's mine. That's what it's indicating, okay? So there's no dishonesty here at all. Yahweh would bring them out wealthy. Look at it, it says, articles of silver, articles of gold. Just to mention a couple of things. There's also clothes and many other things. They would need those as commodities to buy in the journey. If you remember, as you go through Edom and everything else, they say, listen, we won't go to the left or the right. We'll just buy water from you. And they, you know, they need to buy. God would also require many of these silver and gold and all that for the building of the tabernacle. When we get there, we'll see that. And there's a lot of money in the tabernacle. Notice in verse 3, Yahweh was the one responsible for the change of heart of the Egyptians. He was gracious to the Hebrews. And the Lord Yahweh gave the people favor in the sight of the Egyptians. This was all a result of Yahweh in Egypt, working on their behalf. He had caused Moses to be highly respected. Moreover, the man Moses was very great in the land of Egypt, in the sight of Pharaoh's servant, and in the sight of the people. Because of what God has done. It's God who does it, ladies and gentlemen. Why do we lose sight of that so quickly and so often? And so, after this parenthetical passage there of what God had told him, now in verse 4 through 8, the proclamation of Moses to Pharaoh after the ninth plague. We see Moses before Pharaoh, still in the audience after the ninth plague. Moses delivered his last message to Pharaoh, announcing the death of the firstborn here, verse 4 and 5. The authority remains the same, Yahweh. Then Moses said, thus saith the Lord Yahweh. The final blow would be on the firstborn, who belonged to the gods of Egypt. The firstborn belonged to the gods of Egypt. About midnight, I will go out in the midst of Egypt. I is God, Yahweh. And all the firstborn of the land of Egypt shall die. The extent would be of all living things. He itemizes it. Listen, from the firstborn of Pharaoh who sits on the throne, starts at the beginning, greater responsibility, even to the firstborn of female servants who are behind the handmill, and also the firstborn of the animals, because they worship all the animals. Zoology. They, they, they worship all of this. It's idolatry. Now Moses describes the great grief over the death of the firstborn. All these are warnings looking for repentance. It would be one of a kind. 
Then there shall be a great cry throughout all the land of Egypt, such as was not like it before, nor shall it be like it again. We keep seeing these things, one of a kind, one of a kind. It would not touch the Hebrews, though. Here's the contrast again. But against none of the children of Israel shall a dog move its tongue against man or beast. In fact, it would be for instructing the Egyptians that you may know that the Lord Yahweh does make a difference between the Egyptians and Israel. And he says this all the time. Look at verse 8. Moses declared to Pharaoh the exodus of the Hebrews. Moses declared it, not Pharaoh. The Egyptians would do obeisance to Moses. Oh, this must have really gone well with Pharaoh. And all these, your servants shall come down to me and bow down to me. The Egyptians would beg Moses to leave Egypt. They would be saying, get out. And all the people who follow you after that, I will go out. And so the prophet Moses made his exit, enraged. Then he went out from Pharaoh in great anger. It was over. There comes a time when we have to back off from people. There's nothing more I can say. Due to the arrogant pride of Pharaoh, Moses was affirming the declaration of Pharaoh that he would not see his face again. He would have to prepare to meet Yahweh himself. So he's confirming 1029. That leads us with the proclamation of Yahweh to Moses about the last plague in verse 9 and 10. In 9, the Pharaoh would not obey. Yahweh knew Pharaoh's heart, but the Lord Yahweh said to Moses, Pharaoh will not heed you. What a surprise. Yahweh gives the reason so that my wonders may be multiplied in the land of Egypt. This does not mean that God forced or violated Pharaoh's will, but only that he used it to glorify himself. The summary statement is in verse 10 of the two brothers who were the instruments of Yahweh. The instruments of Yahweh, so Moses and Aaron, did all these wonders before Pharaoh. We saw the ones when they first met with him, as they first came. We saw them being used through all these plagues. Now God would be the one to bring this last plague alone, apart from them. The unceasing rebellion of Pharaoh before Yahweh is given. And the Lord Yahweh hardened Pharaoh's heart, and he did not let the children of Israel go out of his land. This is the fifth stated, the fifth time stated that God hardened the heart of of Pharaoh. Three times the word chazag to strengthen or to make firm, honoring his choice, we've seen in 9 12, 10 20, 10 27. One time kabad, meaning heavy, dull, insensible, in Exodus 10 1. The word chazag appears in relationship to Pharaoh 11 times. The context will tell you whether he did it himself or God did it. And the different words also will indicate it at times. The context will reveal that. But never can you conclude that God gave Pharaoh a raw deal. You understand? The Bible gives a strong warning as God disciplines Christians for their carnal lifestyle as they partook of the Lord's Supper in 1 Corinthians 11.30. Paul the Apostle says, some of you have been struck with illness and some of you God has killed in that verse. John warns about sin that is unto death in 1 John 1, 5, 16. Listen to him. If anyone sees his brother sinning a sin, 
which does not lead to death, he will ask and he will give him life for those who commit sin not leading to death. There is sin leading to death. I do not say that he should pray about that. Now, the resulting consequences is repeated for emphasis, leading to death and leading not to death. The context is spiritual death, not physical. It is written against Gnosticism and those who are being deceived. Throughout the epistle of 1 John, it's spiritual death that is being talked about. I know many interpret this as physical death. I believe they're wrong. Why would God introduce physical death at the last chapter, at the last verses, when everything is eternal? It's inconsistent. In the context, he calls them a brother. And one's a sin to death, the other one not unto death. The text describes the very same person all three times. The subject never changes. This is not some particular sin or trespass nor backsliding, but a crossing of the line in which prayer will no longer avail at all, which we are warned about. The book of Hebrews is very clear about that. He talks to Christians. The reference is to spiritual death, which is eternal death, the second death, Revelation 21.8. This then must regard the believer, even as Yahweh told Jeremiah three times to not pray for the people anymore, the people of God. Jeremiah 7.16, and 14.11, three times, stop praying for them. They've crossed that line. But that's Old Testament. Really? What do you do with Hymenes, Alexander? What do you do with Demas? What do you do with these texts? We know the non-believers under God's wrath and separated from God right now and if he dies for all eternity. The wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ, our Lord, Romans 6.23. So it's a choice. Listen to uh, the parable Jesus gave in Luke 12, 43 through 48. He says, Blessed is that servant whom his master will find so doing when he comes the servant, the believer. He's the only one who knows the master's will. Truly I say to you that he will make him ruler all that he has. But if that servant, same subject is still the same, that servant, says in his heart, My master is delaying his coming, and begins to beat the male and female servants, and to eat and to drink and to be drunk, The master of the servant will come in the day when he is not looking for him and at an hour when he is not aware and will cut him in two and appoint him his portion with the unbeliever. There's a contrast, believer, unbeliever. The believer is appointed with the portion with the unbeliever. Don't explain it away. And that servant who knew his master's will, only the Christian, and did not prepare himself to do according to his will, shall be beaten with many stripes. But he who did not know, yet committed things deserving of stripes, the non-believer, shall be beaten with few. Here's the reason. Don't miss it. For everyone to whom much is given, from him much will be required, and to whom much has been committed, to him they will ask the more. God will judge you and myself according to the measure of light we have possessed and received, ladies and gentlemen. Tenth plague, the death of the firstborn did not cause the heart of Pharaoh to repent. He had crossed that line. Nothing could be done for Pharaoh. It wasn't God's fault. It was all in Pharaoh's hands. And in yours, 
you would be like Pharaoh, rejecting over and over and over again. Our prayer is that you repent. Once again, Pastor Xavier Reese illustrating with the rebellion of Pharaoh that how if you choose to sin, you are choosing to suffer. Now, just before we close, let me mention that copies of today's study titled The High Price of Rebellion are available on CD for just $4. And this will also include everything Pastor Xavier shared the last time we were together as well. Now, once again, the title to ask for is simply The High Price of Rebellion, or just mention today's date. You can request your copy by writing Simple Truths, 2200 East Colorado Boulevard, Pasadena, California, 91107. Or to make your request by phone, call 800-926-1485. Again, that's 800-926-1485. Or the address once again is Simple Truths, 2200 East Colorado Boulevard, Pasadena, California, 91107. And thanks for mentioning the call letters of this station when you get in touch. This helps us track the effectiveness of this ministry in your area. And then join us for more Simple Truths next time with Pastor Xavier Reese. Simple Truths with Pastor Xavier Reese, a daily half-hour broadcast, is a radio ministry of Calvary Chapel of Pasadena, California. www.calvarychapelpasadena.com 